1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 to 11 When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In 2002, the Sydney Morning Herald carried a story, Church Not Liable for Lord's Early Fallers. The Lord may move in mysterious ways, but the ways of the District Court proved more fathomable yesterday. Justice James Black ruled that a church could not be held responsible for the safety of a parishioner suddenly struck by the Spirit of the Lord. Lorraine Daly, 40, of Como West, was seeking up to $750,000 in damages from an Assembly of God church, the Sydney Christian Life Centre. She claimed that the church had been negligent by not providing someone to catch her when she was slain in the spirit during a service at Waterloo. Justice Black raised the prospect that anyone, anywhere, anytime might suddenly be filled with the spirit of the Lord fall and injure themselves, and there was no guarantee that somebody would be on hand to catch them. There was no evidence that it was normal for people to fall before they were individually prayed for, and he ruled that the defendants were not negligent. <laughs> it seems crazy, doesn't it, T taking something like this to a civil court? And I actually saw quite surprised at some of the astute comments that the judge made there in relation to that case. And at first glance, it might seem like this is exactly the sort of thing that we're talking about here in, in this reading. Um, Christians taking other Christians to talk, to court. Uh, why would you do that? Uh, and maybe we could add this to our list of things that we're not to do. Uh, don't take other Christians to court. Check. Now, I don't think Paul was worried so much that the Corinthians wouldn't get justice in a court, civil court. They just had no business being there. Last week, as we studied chapter 5, we talked about how earlier in this same letter, Paul was telling us, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. 
But there in chapter 5, he said, judge. Um, and we talked about, well, why is there the difference there? As individuals, we are not to judge others. We're we can be discerning. In fact, we should be discerning so that we don't get led astray, but we are not to pronounce judgment on people and declare them guilty. And also, when it's a disputable matter, because the scriptures aren't fully clear on a particular issue, we cannot judge a person who comes to a different position to what we do because it's a disputable matter. But to the Corinthian church, as a united body, they were being told to judge a wicked person and to put him out of the fellowship because what he had done was indisputably outrageous. It was blatant, he was unrepentant, and there were no gray areas with the issue at hand. And so the church, not an individual, the church were told to judge the man and put him out of the fellowship in the hope that he would repent. And we talked about it, it's sort of like sending a kid to a naughty boy corner. We send them there in the hope that they'll repent and turn back to God. Now, Paul carries on a similar theme here. As a church, there should be enough corporate Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom to settle disputes between its members within the church. Um, so while individuals mightn't be able to settle their own disagreements between each other, surely the church could appoint some wise people to arbitrate. And so he's saying, do you dare to take your disputes to the civil courts to be heard by the unrighteous? Why wouldn't they be heard by the righteous, the saints instead? Now, wouldn't it make more sense for the settling of disputes between Christians to be done in the church and by the church. Well, why, why is that? Is it because we don't want to air our dirty laundry for the whole world to see? No, I don't think that's the issue at all. In fact, Jesus has always tells us to be very open. You know, don't try and hide things. Things should be brought out into the light. I think it's because Christian values are very different to the values of the world. The civil courts can quite capably hand down a worldly judgment but what does that to do with us? Apparently, as Christians, when Jesus returns, we're going to be judging the world. We're told that we're even going to be judging angels. Surely a dispute between two Christians shouldn't be too hard to settle. If only there were a few wise people in the fellowship who could deal with it. But even this is a secondary issue. We haven't yet dug down to the root of the problem that was plaguing this church. What could possibly possess a church that it would come to a state where its members were litigating against each other? From this letter to the church in Corinth itself, we already know that there were some within that church who saw themselves as being very wise. Sort of a bit like Yogi Bear, you know, smarter than the average bear. Thinks he's a bit better than, than the average bear. It seems that there were those there who thought that they were spiritually superior. Now, there were factions within the church, and it's pretty obvious that these factions were making a big deal out of either suspect or debatable theological issues. So they made a, a big deal out of these debatable issues, but when it came to some of the important stuff, like 
how they behaved and how they related to each other, they were quite willing to just throw out or completely neglect some of the most basic and foundational teachings of Jesus. Six times in chapter 6 and three times in the 11 verses that we read this morning, Paul says, do you not know? Yeah, that's like saying, you lot should know better than this. You should know better than to behave like this. And you know what? I've seen it and I bet you have too. Uh, when a dispute between two people in a church or between two factions in a church, and often it's a dispute over some kind of debatable matter, and they're, they're both arguing from a point of righteousness, and yet they get so bitter and, and so divided and, and so strong for their position, and in doing so, they neglect some of the most basic and foundational teachings of Jesus. Teachings like love one another, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. The root of the problem in their church well, they were neglecting some of the most basic and foundational teachings of Jesus about how disciples of Jesus should live and relate to one another. Paul said in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You've already failed. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? You can see what's happening here, eh? They were standing up for their own rights. When someone did them wrong, they would retaliate. But that's not the way of Jesus. That's how the unrighteous behave. He said, you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. You know what I thought of when I read that? You know how some businesses, they have a little uh, fish symbol, fish logo on their business card or on their, on their thing saying, hey, I'm a Christian, by the way. Uh, and yet I've heard so many examples of Christians who have chosen to utilise a certain business because they've seen that fish symbol there and they've got to be a brother in Christ. They're going to be good. They're going to be honest. They're going to do the job good. And but the work that they've performed has been dodgy, uh, or they were dishonest or unscrupulous in their dealings. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case with everybody who, who uses the fish symbol on their business logo. Um, but sometimes those who claim to be Christian aren't at all the honest dealers that we expect them to be. And there's a lesson there for us. We should make sure that we are honest dealers who will always bring honour to the name of Jesus in everything that we do. But let's come back to the Corinthians. They're behaving like the unrighteous. And Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. 
and he gives us a list. We had a very similar list in chapter 5 that we read last week, only this time it's a little bit more expanded. And this time it's given, it's, we're being told, this is a list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, by the way, if you're somebody who stands on the idea of once saved, always saved, you're going to have a lot of trouble with passages like this one. And once again, there's sins there that some of us might see as the easy targets. You know, those sins that, oh, I'd never do that, but all oh, those terrible people who do. But then there's some, also some behaviours listed there that cut a fair bit closer to home. And we've just got to make sure that we don't just gloss over those ones or skip over them. So it starts out with the sexually immoral. And as we said last week, God's gift of sex is only properly expressed between a man and a woman who are married to each other. Biblically, everything else falls under the heading of sexual immorality. And the sexually immoral do not inherit the kingdom of God. And some people might say, well, there's the easy target. Then there's the idolaters. An idolater is anyone who worships something other than God and the adulterers, and the practicing homosexuals, and the thieves, and those who are greedy. By the way, the word there, thieves, it's, it, it could even be the simplest thieving, taking the biros from work to home or whatnot. Um, those who are greedy, that probably cuts pretty close to home. Drunkards, there's probably a fair bit of that around Christmas time. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Then there's the revilers. Can anyone remember from last week what a reviler is? Anybody remember? A reviler is someone who is well known for uttering bitter complaint. Someone who speaks with disdain. And they say the most horrible things. It's someone who speaks abusively with scorn or criticism. And a person who is known for reviling will not inherit the kingdom of God. And nor will a swindler, that's someone who clutches for what is not rightfully theirs. These are all behaviours that exclude from the kingdom of God. And Paul says, such were some of you. God doesn't only save the good people, God is very good at saving bad people. And what a testimony it is to the mercy of God that in that church in Corinth, God had saved the sexually immoral. He'd saved the idolaters and the adulterers and the practicing homosexuals. He'd saved the thieves, the greedy, the drunks, those who speak abusively with criticism and the swindlers. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The Christian church is not a place where those who started out good get together to enjoy each other's innate goodness. The church is a gathering of people who started out bad, rotten to the core, but we've been washed, we've been made holy, we've been made righteous and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. We were evil. I was evil. You were evil. But not anymore. 
But don't be deceived. We were unrighteous. That was our old self. But we've been born again. Don't go back to that old, unrighteous person again. But that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They were even defrauding each other. They were standing up for their own rights. They were retaliating. They were taking each other to court. You know, a lot of those behaviours, it's all about being self-centred. Selfishness, self-gratification, self-satisfaction, standing up for my rights. That's the world's way, self-centred and retaliatory. The way of the cross, though, stands in stark contrast to this. It's the way of forgiveness, love for one another. It's giving up of my own rights, self-sacrifice. You know, even if only a few Christians in a church begin to neglect some of the most basic and foundational teachings of Christ, it affects the whole character of a church. Relationships break down in, in the most appalling manner. And in the extreme, it can even degrade to such an extent that legal action is something which is happening between its members. But when we live by the Spirit, actually being the holy ones that we're saved to be and holding firm to the most basic and foundational teachings of Christ, that's when we're actually living like the disciples of Jesus that he calls us to be. Jesus said to his disciples one day, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have saved us and sanctified us and justified us in your name. Lord, you have saved us from our unrighteousness, but as we examine ourselves, we have to confess that at times we've totally neglected some of your most basic and foundational teachings of how to relate to each other. Lord, do your work in each of us, do your work in me as an individual and do your work in us as a church that we would not be a people who retaliate but that we would be a people who forgive that we would never become a people of bitterness but that we would become a people characterised by love and peace that we would not be a people who stand up for our own rights but that we would be a people who are willing to suffer wrong, a people who would rather be defrauded. 
to be a people of self-sacrifice. Because by your Holy Spirit, your way becomes our way. In Jesus' name, amen.